Welcome to the Emily Osmond Show, your place to learn how to market yourself online, find your tribe, and grow a business doing the work you love on your terms. As a blogger, presenter, and marketing mentor, I understand the ups and downs that come with putting ourselves out there and running our own show. This podcast is here to take you behind the scenes and share the strategies to help you succeed. So let's get into the show. Welcome back to the show. I hope you're going okay. I hope you're all right and finding a way to cope and to do what you need to do and to keep moving forward. And if you haven't already, I encourage you to go back and listen to episode 38, Navigating COVID-19 as Small Business Owners, for a few strategies and approaches and suggestions to help navigate this time. And I'm also sharing some tips and resources over on my Instagram, in my posts and in my stories. So come over, follow me at Emily Osmond and don't hesitate to reach out via private message there if you'd like me to cover anything in particular there too. So today I'm bringing you a conversation that was recorded a couple of months ago now and it's with Australian designer Anna Thompson of Anna Campbell. And you've no doubt, whether you've realized it or not, seen Anna's wedding dress designs on your Instagram feed, on Pinterest, in magazines, and worn by someone you know. Anna and I actually went to the same school, but we were in different years. And it wasn't until a few years later that we first properly met. I'd not long started my business and I was consulting to a venue for their marketing. We wanted to really ramp up the brand's wedding bookings and position in the market. And so I thought, right, I know someone who we could work pretty well with. And so I contacted Anna's team to pitch an idea for Anna to photograph her latest collection at the venue and be the guest of an in-conversation evening. To my delight, Anna said yes, and I absolutely reveled in spending the day with this very down-to-earth, kind and humble soul. We've since reconnected and I knew that Anna was someone who would bring so much insight to this show. Launching the Anna Campbell brand at the age of 19, you'll hear in this conversation there have been many twists and turns and evolutions along the way. And today with stockists around the world, so many accolades and media features, it's really the resilience that's at the essence of the Anna Campbell brand. And so I'm thrilled to have had the opportunity to sit down with Anna in her Brunswick headquarters with her team working away around us as she took a short break with me to talk about all things creating Anna Campbell. I would love to kick it off just hearing Really, what is Anna Campbell? So Anna Campbell is a wedding dress designer label. We make incredibly beautiful and romantic wedding dresses for our amazing brides. Awesome. And how long has Anna Campbell been around now? How long has the brand been around? 2006, I started the brand. And I guess when I talk about starting Anna Campbell it was it was Anna Campbell it was called Anna Campbell but it certainly wasn't as it is known now yes it was very much in its 
early stages, it was more kind of nightclubbing dresses. To oh my gosh. With. Yeah. And it, it kind of slowly evolved into bridal across a few years. So where where did it start? Because I know that you studied fashion, but you didn't see it all the way through because no. of some advice maybe that you got told. Oh, I was just terrified. <laughs> so I studied for a few months only. I failed dismally and the people at RMIT certainly didn't think I was capable of it either. So I think both of us were pushing towards the door. And then I guess it's probably really easy to be the dark horse and I wanted to prove people wrong and so I started my label. And what did that look like, starting the label? like um, making up a lot of lies, pretending that I could do it, hoping that I could do it, running down a spotlight, selling things on commission, waitressing full time, okay, scrapping it together, having no clue about what I was doing and just hoping for the best and I guess a lot of guts and a lot of determination. Mm. More so than um, a skill set, there was just a determination to succeed. So you were waitressing full time Mm -hmm. and you were designing, was it headpieces mainly? Yeah, so I was designing dresses, but I had quit uni and I was going on a morning stroll and it was about a couple of weeks uh, before the Melbourne Cup and there was a little boutique and they had no headpieces or fascinators for the cup. And so I just strung a few words together about being a milliner. I'd done done like a two-week short course, so that qualified. Um, I said that I was a milliner and that I could put some pieces in their store um, for the Melbourne Cup. They said I could on commission. And I literally went home, decided it was going to be called Anna Campbell. Went to Spotlight, bought some feathers and some glue, started the brand and then they sold and then dresses sold and it kind of evolved from there but yeah I was waitressing. So then you created the dresses and who were, who was buying them how were they finding you? So a couple of people found me through the store but also I would always wear the dresses like going out clubbing. I can't even imagine you clubbing. I know and it's so funny because I'm such a nana now like I, I literally don't drink alcohol. I would be so out of place in a nightclub but there was a time in my life where Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday like not going out till 3am was a complete waste of a night. <laughs> So I guess I met a lot of people. (laughs) They loved your style. They loved my style and they wanted to buy the dresses. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. And were you making them all from home at that point? No. So I, growing up in country Victoria, I was making them from, I was living at RMIT Village. So it was a student accommodation. Oh, yeah. Coden went there, my partner. Oh. Well, I don't know if he ever remembers the boiler room. I have to ask him. Sounds a bit <laughs> sus. Literally a room with old machinery in it, and they let me put my sewing machine in there. It was <gasps> tiny and very hot, and I had bags and bags of fabric that I collected, and I made everything from the boiler room. Wow. Okay. That's <laughs> no. It's super cool. Absolutely. And what stage did it get to that you were like, you know, maybe this is more than a few dresses what you know were you waitressing full-time at that point still yeah I waitressed full-time for I don't even know how long a couple of years and there was a bit of boost juice in there as well (sighs) I remember it just seeming to grow its own legs and take off and I do remember a point where I think mum and dad kind of knew that I was playing around with stuff I think that they I, and I kind of thought that I would start studying again the following year okay and I was, back to fashion or yeah and I was just kind of stuffing around and seeing where it took me in that in that time and of course I never went back but I remember the some girls some clients that, um, that drank coffee at the place I was waitressing were 
designers who had a little brand and they let me do headpieces for a fashion show. That was so lovely. And then they introduced me to a couple of buyers who bought my dresses. Wow. And I remember delivering some dresses into a store. The owner called me and said, oh, here, the dresses have got here. They look great, but we're missing the swing tags. Huh? So I said, oh, they must have fallen out of the bag. As I was like madly like making them because I'd finished the dresses you know, at 3 a.m. the day wow. before. And then she said, oh, and I'm also I'm just missing an invoice. And like I just proved like how young and naive I was. I was like, sorry, what's an invoice? Wow. And then the, the phone kind of went silent for a second. <laughs> and I just kind of said, oh, no, I'll get it to you. And I kind of hoped that she didn't hear me. And then I called dad and said, dad, this woman wants an invoice. What's... He said, you're sell- hang on, when did you start selling stuff into shops? Wow. And I was like, yeah, yeah. And at that point, dad, I think, got on board and helped me get some things up and running. And he actually still works for me, which is... Does he? Yeah, oh. which is pretty amazing. What was he helping you with? So he How just helped he me, help? like, put the... Like, I say I started in 2006, but the business wasn't registered until dad got on board, like, yes. 2007 at some point. Yeah. Tax. Um, now he does a heap of work with payroll international customs oh my god decorations he's like the person that i speak to between the accountants and me like he does a huge amount of that Mm. really financial management Mm. i hate forms and i hate going to the bank Mm. and he's my buffer so you're selling into the into the shops to start with yes and these were still kind of like the more the clubbing dresses they were kind of party dresses and then they started getting picked up a lot for formals Mm. okay cool and i still meet brides now who say Oh, I wore your dress to my oh ten my. formal. Yeah, they went, they went kind of nuts as formal dresses. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. So what what happened after that? I was just making the dresses all by myself at home, and yeah. I started employing fashion students to help me ah. make the dresses. Yes, and then I started selling them throughout Australia, and then I had a fashion show, and an agent picked me up. Wow, and that was huge and it was definitely time to grow up in a sense because like at the time they had like um I think they still do have some of these brands but like Beck and Bridge and Victorian Woods and Nana Judy and these incredible brands who although were in the startup phases were probably Mm. a bit more professional than I was (laughs) and it was like yes I was a young designer and maybe I was making them on my like Janome I got when I was 15 but I was competing against Sass and Bide and these big brands and my quality and professionalism had to match mm. and I guess that was a big kind of turning point I can't remember when I stopped waitressing I think that the agency certainly helped with that so mm. they were my representation for Tasmania I think South Australia and Victoria for quite a few years and I managed the rest of the Australian states and so I had to do collections and drops every so often and dresses had to be made somewhat to last okay we started yeah having to think about marketing and it, it was still really just me and a couple of people helping me sell at that stage mm. and you didn't have your store on sydney road oh at that no, point? no 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 way down the track so where how like what was the in between from you got picked up by an agent which is amazing and and they i guess helped you get that distribution yes. so that the business kind of grew from that yeah. and then to get to open up your own your own store so that was quite a long way down the track so i just because I guess I was primarily wholesale to begin with, it was fine. And then I moved around a lot of rental houses, like as you do when you're from the country, yep. you move around to the city and you kind of <laughs> don't know what you're doing. And so I had rental houses in um, uh, Turak, Brunswick and Essendon, wow. all of which I had, I think after I lived in Turak, I had a spare room in each of the houses 
dedicated to my business. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes I would have people come in and buy a dress directly for me. I'd design a dress. And then I think what really happened to probably stimulate and make me open the first store. So it wasn't on Sydney Road. It was on Victoria uh, Street. It was tiny. Yeah, okay. So Victoria Street, Brunswick. So just off uh, Sydney Road. Yes, okay. We were totally outgrown the second bedroom. Like you'd walk in our house and there'd be fabric <laughs> rolls down the hallway. There'd be dresses piled up on the couch. Like our washing line would be covered in dresses that I was doing crazy, like microwaving them. Oh my God. Hand dyeing them. And like, it was crazy. And uh, I think my housemates probably got a bit over it. And my sister probably did at some point. I had also started really thinking about bridal at this point. People in, especially in Queensland, were ordering our formal dresses, but floor length with trains in ivory Mm. and wearing them as their wedding dress. And I was a bridal designer before I'd even consciously thought of Mm. the idea. And then that demand moved to Melbourne. I had nowhere to see these brides. So we signed, I say we, it was me. I signed a tiny little lease on Victoria Street, Brunswick. The shop was 30 square, which is minute. I (laughs) I know how big that is because Coden says to me when we go away and he looks at the size of hotel rooms, he's like, it's got to be bigger than 30 square. I think he says it's got to be bigger than like 60 square or something. I'm like, come on, Coden. (laughs) (laughs) So it must have been tidy. Yeah, it was tidy. And it was $12,000 a year, which I would love to have a retail that was $12,000 a year, but it was a lot of money Mm. then. And it was the first time that I was like, okay, I can't necessarily waitress anymore as a backup. I've got to sell so many dresses. Mm. And at the same time that we kind of signed the lease on the store, we moved um, into a studio just down the road from that at a Brunswick business incubator, which was awesome. It was like a place to support young businesses. Oh, awesome. So it's it kind of all happened at once. And I reckon that might have been 2009, 2010-ish. So, yeah, 10 years ago. Yeah. And so, like, that's a fair bit of pressure to, you know, to sign the contract and, yes. and sign up for that lease. What did you at that point I guess, tell yourself to make it work? Because I guess you were like, right, well, things kind of need to keep growing from here. I, I, I don't know. Like, I think that I've been incredibly lucky that I made a product that was really unique and the demand was always greater than what I could cope mm. with. Like, I didn't take a holiday for a decade. Like, I just... <laughs> Actually, there was one time I went to Vietnam and I cut it oh. short. I had to come home. Oh, gosh. Because, like, I didn't do a margin sheet until about 2012, 2013. Mm. Like, and be like, oh, we make money on that one. Oh, we lose a lot on that one. <laughs> like, I don't know, things just happened so fast that I just tried to keep up. Like, that was basically it. I just assumed that if I sold stuff, I'd, I'd cover the rent. I just I yeah. just had to get in the store and, and put my dresses somewhere so I could sell stuff mm. and I could meet my brides. Like, mm. it was as basic as that. I never really looked at a profit and loss sheet, like, way, until way down the track. That's like knowing that you've got, I kind of say like an offer that converts or a product market fit, having something that people want. Well, you can't have a business without it. And for you, you know, you you started with the headpieces and then maybe the clubbing gear and then you saw, well, hang on a minute, people are buying these in the ivory with the train. And I guess you slightly pivoted and realized. Bridesmaids in there too at a point. That that's your market. I think it just grew faster than I could keep up for a a lot of the time. People used to say, oh, that's a great place to be. And I used to think, like, I haven't slept in weeks. (laughs) I literally hadn't slept in weeks. Like, I would work until, like, 1 a.m., 2 a.m., sleep, like, get up first thing, Mm. be in my pyjamas, start working again. I get dressed at about 
4 35 o'clock and sprint to the post office and try and meet the post that yeah. day. Like it was it's it's amazing that I have sacri- I have mm. sacrificed my adult life for this and I wouldn't change mm. it. I love travel and I have spent a total of ten days in Europe. Oh wow. Because I've spent my entire adult life mm. working so hard. And I guess I'm like when you ask like did you think about it? Like mm. I had nothing to lose. I had a waitressing wage and no savings. Yeah. So I just threw everything at it. I didn't have a degree that I had to pay off. I mean, my ex-hex debt, I had to pay it. It was minimal. It was <laughs> but I guess like now I have mortgages, two children um, who are very young and very dependent on me. Now, if I started a business, I would really look at the profit and loss in the spreadsheets first. Mm. And I think that's a really, it's a necessary place to be in it in a way. And I understand that, but it's also a really uncreative and sad place to be. Mm. And I guess I just threw everything at it. I was lucky. It worked. I worked my butt off <laughs> to keep up with it. Why do you think there was a demand for, for Anna Campbell? What do you think it is about the brand? What was it? It was just crazily unique. It's a really good reminder to me now mm. that there's so much saturation in the market I heard a quote the other day that is kind of like, if someone else has done it, don't bother. Mm. Like, just do your own thing. And I think that we all, at some point in our careers, get pulled into doing what we think is the thing and what everybody else seems to be having success with. Mm. And, and at the end of the day, it's. I think that the dresses were really unique. I didn't really ever think of starting fashion. I wanted to kind of do costume design. Uh. And so I was like hand-dyeing fabrics and like, like microwaving fabrics. <laughs> <laughs> and, like, I was putting fishing line edges to make them have different effects. Like, wow. the dresses were wildly unique. Like, I remember I had a dress that I used to make, like, sequin kind of pockets and fill them, like, with, like, chew pockets filled oh with sequins gosh. and glue. And, like, they they were, like, I don't know. I, I'm not going to say they were well made. <laughs> <laughs> or that they would have lasted. I'm not sure. For the one but day it mattered. For the one day it mattered. They were incredibly <laughs> unique and there was nothing else like it on the market. There was like hand-cut silk flowers. There was mm. They were really wild in their imagination and I guess there was nothing else like it. When you opened that first place, mm-hmm. did, you, did you then move from that one or that stayed your So we, your sh- we were only there for a year and okay. then we moved into a bigger store yes. on Sydney Road. Okay. Yeah. How did your role change then? What did you have to stop doing and what did that look like? Was it difficult to, I guess, then start handing over more things to other people? Yeah. So when I opened the store, I had like a team of people who I would cut all the dresses and they would come pick up a bag of dresses, take them for two weeks and bring them back. Mm-hmm. My mum was in a like a natural disaster mm-hmm. overseas and was quite ill. Mm-hmm. And the timing of that meant that my little sister wanted a break from uni. So she mm-hmm. took a year off medicine and was available to work for me. Mm. And it was the first time I'd ever employed someone full-time. And that was Lucy? And it was Lucy. Uh. And it was the best thing ever because I could have said to her, I've got no work, go yeah. go, back, go, go find a job. Yeah. Like I didn't have this huge commitment. And then I employed a machinist full-time. And then later that year I had, um, I think towards the end of the year, we employed our first like full-time retail staff member and first kind of retail, like first full-time kind of production mm-hmm. member. But it was the best kind of entry into it because we were very much we were on the same page. She worked yes. very hard for me and just similar work ethics. And, like, I mean, she neither of us had a fashion degree. <laughs> so it was a blind leaving a blind, you know, in a sense. But it was, it was amazing. And, it, and I guess it taught me that 
in that year, we did see success and it gave me the confidence to then sign that bigger lease, hire staff and be able to, you know, guarantee their hours and pay them. Mm. And so that was like 10 years ago now. Yeah. Tell us, like, you, you now have a beautiful store in mm. Armadale. Mm. When did that kind of happen and, and you jumped on that? And what did it look like when that first opened and then, you know, a few years down the track too? How's that kind of evolved? So I had the – so we'd grown out of the little store on Victoria Street and we'd opened the store on Sydney Road, which was 100 square, which felt – Oh, my gosh. Huge. <laughs> and – I remember our Saturday's appointments were booked four or five months in advance. Oh, my goodness. And at that point, like, again, no profit loss report. I had just <laughs> been not from Melbourne. I had heard that there was a kind of a bridalish strip in Armadale. Yeah. So the first time I went to Armadale was the day I signed a lease. Oh, my god! Drove over, met with an estate agent. I didn't negotiate the lease. I didn't need to do that. <laughs> signed this really expensive lease. <laughs> And off we went, put in custom flooring. My now husband renovated it completely for me, so he's done all of my stores. Yeah. Hired more staff to cover it, made more dresses, and off we went. Like, I would love to sit here and say that there was, like, really processed calculations <laughs> and, you know, a focus group or a board of directors. Like, none of that stuff was around. It was just what money was in my bank account and, mm. like, yeah, away we went. And, ke- and almost keeping up with, you know. Just keeping up with demand. Mm. Yeah. Mm. And so, like, I think a couple of years down the track, I realised how badly negotiated my lease was. <laughs> and it wasn't the, – the layout of the space didn't really work for us anymore. Mm. And so I negotiated much heavier a new – actually, this studio space we're sitting in now, this yeah. studio space and a new Armadale space mm. yep, at that time. Where we're sitting now, this is kind of like the HQ of Anna Campbell. Yes, yes. Can you yeah, describe wh- where we are? What was, so what's here? Brunswick East, it's a old warehouse uh, – it's, it was basically just an empty shell and we put everything here. So all our brides come here to have their alterations and all their custom tailoring done with us. Mm. And if I see a bride for like a designer experience or a customer appointment, she's here with me. It's every shred of fabric we have is here. All our dresses are made here. They're designed here. It's very much like the heart and soul of what we do. It's where I come to work. Mm. Yeah. And it's beautiful. It is beautiful. <laughs> it is. It is. It's rustic, but it's it is it's beautiful. gorgeous. And I love you've got this sign that's like someone sleeping in here. The yes. days that you have you, yeah, your my little boy yeah. comes in occasionally, yeah. yeah. And it, it's very much a family, yeah, environment. So Anna, I'd love to chat about, I guess, how things have changed in the industry over the years and if there have been challenges or adaptations that you've had to make along the way. Have there been times that, yeah, times that have felt a bit more challenging or a bit tougher? Constantly. Oh, there's been so many. And sometimes I'm so glad to be like a sole director and not have – I've never sold a part of Anna Campbell and I'm so glad that I haven't because mm-hmm. I – I don't have a partner and I don't have like anyone to answer to. And so when I have really stuffed up, but I have stuffed up majorly and it, like hundreds of thousand dollars stuff ups, it's on me and I don't have to apologize mm-hmm. to anyone for that. It's just, it's myself. And I guess in that I have been able to take massive risks. And I think it is in being able to take these huge risks that has given me the success that I guess I have. Things go wrong. All the time, like whether I thought I was getting a great price on fabric and ordered a couple of years worth of stock for a lining and then I changed direction and changed all the lining mm. and now we've still got that stock there. Mm. Or whether I hired too fast. Someone gave me a quote once, which is, it's terrible, it's true, it's buy fast, hire slow. And not that 
in Australia, we're really allowed to fire fast. <laughs> but it's true. Like when I was suddenly like, you look at your sales and they've doubled and your staff are scrambling and everyone's burnt out. You hire people quickly and you don't train them because you're all on the fly and you're all just trying to survive and you're all exhausted. And so you just hire quickly and throw them in and then maybe you hire the wrong person. And so I guess like what can make or break a business is staff and that's something that I've had to learn the hard way. Mm. And I think every business kind of has gone, it's, you're very lucky if you just magically had amazing onboarding experience and just flute hiring the best people ever. I don't really think that often happens. And so I have had staff that have absolutely been the backbone of the business and have been a huge part of helping me achieve what I've achieved. Mm. And I have had staff that have absolutely crippled me mm. and emotionally financially um culturally whichever way you look at it staff can go one way or the other and so much on that is about taking your time to hire the right person if you can trying to do the empty role Mm. for a few weeks and just try and understand it better so you can hire for it better there's a huge amount in it and i guess as small businesses we can never afford to be overstaffed we're small. Everybody is key. They don't all have assistance. So when one person leaves, we don't just pop the next person up. Like we often have to hire externally for that role. And it's, it's really hard. It's, it's really hard. And, and I guess the more that we learn, the more that we take the time to choose the right person and even scramble for a bit while we wait and then just spend the time making them really, I guess, really educating them about what is important to us as a company, what is important to Mm. our bride, how we want to operate. It just saves so much down the track. And is that something that you've had to like ever refocus yourself on too or refocus the company on? Because, you know, with the change in the bridal industry and how Anna Campbell, you know, you're kind of like a bull out the gate and, and grew really, really fast and, and had your incredible designs. And then I think you've alluded to before how there's more different brands on offer now. Absolutely. The market is more saturated than it's ever been. And I think that when that happens, there is that temptation to just quickly reduce your prices and make what they're making. And, and like, I think most designers have fallen down that rabbit hole. And look, we certainly have at times. And I think it seems like a constant reminder to stay true to yourself. And those times are really hard. And I think it's, it's really hard to have a business that grew and grew and grew and grew and grew. And then suddenly the market just became like explosively saturated and then you stop growing. And it kind of, it takes a breath to go, okay, where did we, where did we go wrong? And what, what turn do we do? You know, and I, I brought out amazing collections and I've, I've brought out a couple that weren't as strong. And I think that like anyone who's a creative, you cannot hit gold year on like year out Mm. it's like we have one collection a year and that collection will be the like the testament to how well we do in that following year and years beyond that and when you get it wrong you really get it wrong in a in a severe way and i have certainly experienced that in the past it was really hard and i think that where i went wrong is i i tried to i guess i at one point i tried to be a brand that was like, okay, all of these amazing people bought my dress. Who cares? Who didn't buy my dress? Why did they walk away? What did they buy? How do I do that too? Like, how do I serve everybody? How do I get everybody who walks in the door to buy my dress? And I think in that I abandoned 
the incredible amount of people who were buying my dress who I just didn't even, I wasn't grateful for at that time. Mm. Isn't it amazing yes. that we focus on, you know, why aren't more people buying Yeah. and try and attract them or, or focus yeah. on them rather than on our, the customers then that we do have? The question, why do you love it? Why did you buy it? Like, what about mm. it? And they would have said, because it's the shape I love, because it's so unique, because it's I can't find anything else in the world like it, because I can see it from 200 metres away and know it's an Anna Campbell. That's why yes. they bought the dress. Yet I was like, oh. I think I need to do something mainstream, which is like in hindsight, we can giggle about it. But at the time, like it, it seems like it seemed mm. very much like the right move. So you, you kind of maybe made some decisions and, and yeah. maybe the collection didn't go as well. How did you then realize, you know what? So within, um, within two weeks of release, I had designed three new pieces and we released them a few months later. <gasps> okay. So you knew same. pretty fast. Yes. You know, pretty fast. Yeah. Now, a couple of other things as well. So you're in America yeah. and overseas. Tell us about that, how that happened, how you manage it, how, how it is. It's amazing. It's amazing to have other markets supporting you. Um, we've stocked in America for oh, years now, like 2012 mm. maybe, um, and all through Europe, South America, Asia. How did it happen? I literally woke up one morning in 2012 and I had – multiple emails from American girls wow. desperate for a few of our dresses. Um, I asked a couple of them, how did you find out about me? Because thinking mm. back to 2012, Instagram wasn't around. I think it was about MySpace. I don't know oh about my gosh. Facebook. Ooh. I don't even know. I, I can't remember anything on Facebook. Yeah. Oh, wow. MySpace was like huge for us. I had such a good background song on my page. Do you remember them? <laughs> <laughs> oh, it was so good. And so all these girls said, oh, Pinterest. Yeah. And none of my friends, or I had certainly heard of Pinterest then. What happened was really incredible. I certainly wasn't like, you know, tapping my fingers at home thinking, I would love an American stockist and like, I'm going to call, you know, or email someone mm. or fly over there for a trade show. That didn't happen. What happened? And like, actually, we went out for dinner with one of our um, stockers from Texas <sighs> last year. And she retold the story to me. And basically what happened is a bride came in with her mom mm. and her mom basically banged all of these like pictures of our dresses down on the table oh, wow. and said to like Ruthie, who's the owner of the store, you need to convince my daughter not to buy one of these dresses in Australia. It's ridiculous. You must have something else in store for her. Oh, my gosh. And Ruthie was like, oh, okay. And I think I can't remember whether she bought something else or she bought our dresses, but Ruthie looked at the pictures of those dresses and she was like, there's something to them mm. and contacted us Wow! based on that. And it, it just happened. Brides overseas were demanding that their local boutique bought our dresses. Oh, my gosh. And so that, the stores were saying, I need your dresses, more so than me saying, hey, I'm down in the middle of Australia. Yes. I've got this dress label. Are you interested? <laughs> you know, like it, just, it, it was completely the opposite for me, which is absolutely amazing. So I had a girlfriend in the States, still one of my um, best friends, and I sent her over some dresses and she showed a couple of buyers. They picked up the range, um, a quite a big, like, a, a, I guess they're like a, a chainish kind of boutique store. Lovely Bride was getting mm. going at that point. And they booked a trunk show with me. I went across for New York Bridal Week. I just Googled it and I was like, oh, oh. number one night at like 11 p.m. I think Mario was trying to sleep. And I was like, babe, hey, this thing called New York Bridal Week? <laughs> like, no one in Australia did it then. Oh. And he was like, go to sleep. I'm like, I, I'm going to 
to do this. Like, I think we should book flights. And then Lovely confirmed a trunk show and we went and sold the collection to, yep, to buyers. Wow. Again, like, the designs were unique. Like, I remember, like, having a trunk show in New York City was just mind-blowing. I think the trunk show started on the Friday and on the Thursday I was there with the collection. Our dresses um, are quite unique in the way that they tie up. Mm. And I had a team of, like, I don't know how many, like, it felt like about 10 staff sitting there looking at me as I tried to train the team oh my gosh and halfway through the training one of the stylists said oh i've just got to pop out i've had this bride fly in from south america she's been here a few times i can't find her anything um wow do you mind if i just borrow one of these dresses Mm. like of course like about half an hour later she's like oh she bought it so someone bought the dress before i'd even finished training the team i think especially with the chain store like that and they only had a couple of locations at the time they only had LA as well which went amazingly mm. but I think that when they get behind it and they see it and that they're excited by it it goes nuts and that's certainly that excitement and that confidence followed through for mm. quite a few years to come you know maybe they didn't understand the dresses or maybe the wrong bride came in maybe it just wouldn't have had that traction and maybe mm. it would have never kicked off in the way that it did I'm not sure just as we start to wrap up, I'd love to hear how you keep yourself in a good mental state around work and if you find, you know, there are times that maybe feel extremely stressful or things seem really challenging, are there times like that? And Absolutely. and if so, you know, how do you manage that? Because you've got, you've got a very – a lot of people that work for you now and a lot of customers and a big brand and – I don't know, I feel like the pressure or the expectations, it, it must be pretty big. How do you how do you deal with that? I feel like I could answer it, but I feel like if you ask my husband or my staff, they might have a very <laughs> different interpretation. And my answer would be like, I stay cool, calm and collected and get through properly. <laughs> wow, I need to learn your tips. <laughs> oh, I actually don't think that's the way it happens though. I think my staff would say that like, I have some very strong core values. The bride is number one. And we will do anything to make that work for the bride. And I think that financially I'm at a big loss to make that happen. Whereas other brands I think would be like, Mm. can't make a dress, got to reschedule your appointment. Whereas we will kill ourselves to get that done on time as promised. Mm. And so I think things just do happen. Things do happen. Like, you know, a thousand metres of fabric comes in in the wrong (laughs) colour. You know, like as much as that shouldn't happen, sometimes these things just do mm. and you have to think on your feet and you've got to get more fabric and you've got to, you know, like race around Melbourne to supplies that you wouldn't normally use. Like these things happen and at the end of the day, the bride is number one. She paid for a product and invested in our company because we make incredible quality high-end dresses and that is what we're going to deliver on time for her wedding. Like there is no middle ground. Mm. So I think there is always a way and you just have to find that way. I think that when I, I couldn't get, agree more. Oh, you, you've just got to stick to that, those values. I think one thing that I have really struggled with is I've got two young babies, mm. a two and a half year old and a seven month old. And when things used to go, not even just wrong, when things were suddenly we had more orders. Like there was times where I used to stay here till 11 p.m. and I'd do all, all the alterations myself. I'd just jump mm. on the machine and I'd plug through. I would pick up the slack in any part of the company Mm. And at the moment, my boys are so little that when things go wrong, I can't necessarily just say, all right, let's order dinner and I'm going to stick it out until I fix it. And I guess that's something that is stressful to be 
now is that when things go wrong, I still need to be home for my boys. Mm. And I think that's really, and that's, I think anyone who's had a business and had, has had babies, it's you, you constantly feel guilty and torn and they both need you mm. and your business is like a screaming child a lot of the time. <laughs> but like, that's one of the hardest things. Like, I mean, today I had, um, I've just had the most massive day today mm-hmm. i had um hello may magazine who are incredible coming through the studio first thing this morning wow. i had an interesting lunch with them and now i've got this podcast with you which is incredible and this morning my really happy seven month old was severely in pain mm. um and i was on the phone to my sister who's a doctor trying to get help yet i'm still trying to run out the door to make you know mm-hmm. make my day and it's just it's very, very hard. And I'd like to say that I'm cool, calm and collected at all times, but I, I just don't think that's the case. I feel that maybe in saying that in the times before I had kids, I would happily work, you know, seven days a week, 10 hours a day. And that was just my life. Whereas now yeah. I have had work-life balance enforced upon me mm. in a sense. And I guess now I enjoy being home more and I enjoy being at work more. So I guess the payoff is that my work time is precious mm. and my home time is precious. So I guess there's there's that. I and think, I guess riding horses and stuff, that really helps as well. And I think that to me, it's like my work is like my passion and my yeah. hobby and I wake up I on the weekend and I want to, like same I want to do it. Yeah, and, um, and yeah. That's amazing. And that is so, like, and maybe there'll be a day that you won't have that. Mm. Like, so drive it while you can mm. and it's funny like you're making me think like I'm thinking back to the early <laughs> days and I remember thinking I don't have kids or mortgages and we have more demand I am going to work mm. my butt off now and I'm so glad that I did yeah. and I worked so hard and I still do mm. but not like I did then like I it was just head down and I'm so glad I did because I always thought I'm building it now because maybe there'll be a time where it's not as popular or maybe there'll be yeah. time that I'll have kids or maybe there'll be a time that I can't mm. commit like this. And so I'm so glad that I really put in those hard yards yeah. when I had that chance. I can't imagine having kids and mortgages and all these responsibilities and starting mm. a business. I think that would be, and I really applaud people who do because, and look, I have just started another business. Well, yes, <laughs> you actually have Anna. So. <laughs> So well, you better tell us about that then as well. So it's called yes. Stitch. It's, um, I guess it's probably a bit of a passion project. It's essentially Anna Campbell um, is really on a destination to become a really environmentally sustainable company. Mm. Um, and that's not something that happens overnight. It's something that there is so many little key steps that we are taking. And one of those steps was to work out what to do with a huge amount of the fabrics that we have lying idle and that every designer has wastage mm. and it's about rehoming those fabrics so silk and stitch is essentially high-end ex-designer fabrics available to like to repurchase for i thought it was going to be retail and retail's yeah. gone okay but it's really wholesale that's been mm. picking up and so it's about yeah creating um i guess we're creating a business from another business's waste and it's amazing these fabrics are so beautiful and because, like with Anna Campbell, our networks and sourcing is so elaborate mm. and incredible, like a Melbourne designer, you just cannot access the fabrics that we could access. And so it, it's amazing. Like I'm bringing so much joy and excitement to people who could have never, ever dreamt of purchasing fabrics like to this quality. Um, and it makes me so happy because 
it means that if you're purchasing fabrics from Silk and Stitch, then you know factories aren't remaking fabrics in bulk. Mm. You know, it, it's using what's already available. It's so sustainable, and there's something really beautiful about it. And so I've dived into that across kind of Christmas and like while I was breastfeeding, I did a huge amount of like <laughs> work on it. And now I'm very immensely into the Anna Campbell design phase. So it is a little mm. bit. I haven't done much on it at the moment. I'm just responding to that things that are coming in. Yes, it's very funny, and it's very funny for having been like thrown almost back into a startup business. I know I was going to ask you because I remember you've mm. said to me about it when you got your first order. Yeah. And you were just so excited. Yes. yes. And it's like there's so many nice things about that, things to celebrate. Mm. Like whereas when you have a big order, like when you have a big business, you need to get orders just to pay the bills. Mm. Like it's not exciting to get an order, it's a necessity. Yeah. Whereas with this, I was so happy. <laughs> But it's made me like really engage more in like listening to your podcasts because I'm like, there's so much for me to learn because mm. like once upon a time I was every single person and job mm. and now I'm not, but for Silk and Stitch, I am that every single person. I am responding to people at 10 PM by my phone yes. on my text. Like I am doing that. Like, you know, I have not had a camel for a long time. <laughs> like I am doing like the Instagram and the website and I'm trying to think about ways to market it and like all of those ideas I guess like Adam Campbell isn't immune to those ideas it needs those ideas Mm. and sometimes when you have a business and it grows its own legs you kind of forget how hard you worked as a startup Mm. and the necessity like the little things and also the edges that small business has over a bigger business yeah the agility oh we made a change earlier this year to the way we're selling one of our products and we went back and broke a few rules and we made a decision. Mm. We made a decision in a couple of hours and it's proven successful. And so it's like that thing, that agility, yeah. like trying to get rid of red tape. And like, I guess with Silk and Stitch, well, maybe on Monday I'll try this way. Maybe yes. on Tuesday. I'll so try much this freedom. Way. It's liberating. Yeah. Maybe mm. I'll start off as retail. No, it's not working. Maybe I'll do wholesale. Oh, that's working. And I think, like, Anna, like that comes back to even what you said at the start around how you were just like, oh, yeah, I'm a milliner, I can do that. Yeah. And, and just how, you know, there, there is a way. You've just got to find the way. You've just got to find the way. And I love that that's what you're doing now with Silk and Stitch. It's like, okay, well, maybe that didn't work. Let's try that. Yeah. I'd love to ask, you know, what is something looking back or that you would have given yourself, like looking back now, what would be one piece of advice that, you, you know, others might help others too? I think just look at the end. Just look at the end goal and then just work out the steps to get there. With Anna Campbell, when we're discussing a problem or how we should do something or should we do this or should we do that or should we charge this or should we charge what? Like sometimes these conversations can kind of get a bit convoluted and long-winded mm. and go around in circles and sometimes you just got to say, hang on, what is the goal here? Okay, what is the best way to achieve that goal? And the answer is often really simple. <laughs> and I think that we yeah. like want to put so many processes and policies and red tape in place and I think that, like, there's a time where that is really, that's really important. Like, for us, from the time a bride chooses her dress to the time that a bride tries it on, you know, for the last time and takes it home, that process is incredibly important and we cannot miss a beat. Mm. And so things like that, there is red tape. Like, from the bride ordering the dress, there is so much paperwork and spreadsheets getting that dress made perfectly for that bride that is super important. But then there's other things where you just kind of need to be able to change direction and think on the fly and I think that now with social media being in our hands and our ability Mm. to market ourselves on Instagram the way we want we have the ability to put a photo up they didn't like it cool 
take it down. Instant feedback. Instant feedback. Put up a different photo. What is your audience responding to you? Do they like light photos, dark photos? Do they like seeing your face? Do they not? Mm. Like just being able to test and trial things. I think that that's something that we have now that I didn't have when I started. And that's amazing. And I get, uh, and we're so lucky, aren't we? That Mm. we can just ask our audience what they want. Yes. (laughs) And test it. Do you like the pink one or the blue one? The blue one. Great. Order it. But then how often do any of us actually do that enough? Mm. Like I know I don't do that enough. Yeah. Because we're always scared of like, oh, but what if, but what if, well, we'll just what, we'll delete the post. Like, <laughs> delete the post. I think, um, actually, it was my sister that taught me something really, really strong that when you are having a problem and you're having like, or you're just worried about something and you're having a little bit of anxiety about it and you're essentially just mm. wasting time, mm. it's this idea that you think, okay, well, what is the worst case scenario? What's the best? case scenario and then what's the actually the most likely thing that is going to happen mm. and when you actually play through that generally you always like go for the most likely thing and then you're happy with that it's so funny and the worst isn't actually that bad you know I do get anxious and as soon as I say it out loud to say Coden he's like what's wrong I'm like no nothing's wrong nothing's wrong then I'm like well I've just been thinking about this and then I say it out loud and I'm like Oh my god, Emily! Why did you just spend like half the day getting all yes. worked up about that? But it's right. Yeah. You say, you know, well, what's the worst that's what's gonna worst happen? Gonna happen? <laughs> yeah, and I think that's something that's so important to do. And I guess at times where I've felt really anxious and really stressed, it's when it's been threatened that we won't meet a bride's deadline. That makes me incredibly anxious because that is our promise and that is what we do. We we just do not. Yes. We do not drop weight. We don't. And I guess it's that or it's staff. And it's staff like maybe being unhappy or staff moving on and it's this fine balance Mm. and we have some of the most incredible staff but that hasn't always been the case and you're you know from the amount of people that we've hired you're always going to get it wrong a couple of times especially when I was 21 and hiring people Mm. I mean like the first time I had to give like a staff member who was behaving really poorly a review I vomited (laughs) beforehand like now I would I'd just be like get a healer chat like, it just wouldn't even phase me now yeah. to have that conversation. Whereas yeah. I was 21, 22 and trying mm. to work out being a marketer, designer, production manager, machinist, and HR manager. Like, there were going to be cracks. Yeah. Yeah. Because you've never done it before. That's no, the thing. That's it. And you, you learn from your mistakes. It's so true. And learn from them and then pivot rather than getting oh, paralyzed. Yes. So yeah, absolutely. Anna, one last question. What what's next for Anna Campbell? What can we expect to see? What, what's coming up for you? So I'm designing 2020 um, at the moment, and that's really late. I'll it drives my team crazy. <laughs> so 2020, you're designing? Yeah, yeah. I was expecting you to say 2021. No, I just oh, look here. I should work like that, and I no. don't. I just like, and my team they would love for me to say like a year in advance. This will be the collection. This is how many styles I'll have. These are their names. They'll look like this. The fabrics will be this. And you have a year to work on it. Whereas I've tried to do that in the past, but it means that I'm not listening to our guide and I'm a bit confused and then I'm all going to change it all Mm. last minute. It's going to be more hectic. Yeah. So I, yeah, I design, um, I like to, so we released the collection in kind of June. Okay. June, July-ish. I like to work with our brides in store. Um, during that period, even a little bit before for testing. Yeah. I like to go to New York and work with our buyers globally on the collection. And all that time I'm gaining mo- like momentum and ideas and yes. feedback 
And so I come back from October and I design the next year's collection. So I start designing around October and we shoot around May. So mm. that's where I'm at now. So design, design, like I'm very, very heavy in design right now, which is an awesome place to be. And we're also about to launch um, our designer experience as well. So it's something that I've, like I'm, I'm doing. Yes. I'm doing more so as a people are falling across it or word of mm. mouth. It's essentially a way to come in and have designer consults with me one-on-one and create something really unique and oh. custom for each single bride. So that's something, yeah, we're working on releasing. It's amazing. Now. And like yeah, so so perfect for, for the brand. Yeah, and it's I'm so passionate about it and I love working. And like I have put that dedication into every, like I guess with the collection, I put that dedication to every dress, but then we release that dress globally. Yeah. Um, whereas this really inspires that next range of dresses. So often mm. someone will come in and have, you know, we'll make something specially custom for them. Yeah. And then that dress will go in the, in that next year's oh range. Like gosh. an adaption of that dress, which is really exciting. Oh, and I better let you go and get back to designing. But thank you so much for sitting down and chatting with me. And I'm um, super excited to see the next collection and keep following and seeing what you're doing. So thank you so much. Amazing. And thank you for your all amazing content. It is I, th- I think they're looking at it as a like silver stitch at a startup phase, but looking at it from Anna Campbell with like as a really established phase, mm. it's it's totally it is relevant. It is very relevant and it's very helpful. So I can yeah, Aww. totally recommend that everybody should be listening. <laughs> Thanks, Anna. Look forward to chatting soon. Thank you. Thank you for listening to The Emily Osmond Show, brought to you by my Instagram freebies, which you'll find at emilyosmond.com forward slash free. So please take a few seconds to leave me a review, subscribe so that you don't miss an episode, and be sure to take a screenshot of this podcast, upload it to your social media, and tag me at Emily Osmond so I can give you a shout out too. Until next time, remember connection over perfection. You've got this and we'll speak soon.